Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 to 29. It says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor striving according to his working which works in me mightily. Hallelujah. And so Paul is, is giving us a very interesting um, passage and I've tried to break down the passage in the past weeks. But I love something that Paul says. He says that to this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. In other words, the reason why Paul was working so hard was to see that that which is the hope of glory, that which Christ is assured us to experience in him, that the people of God will actually experience it. And, and I can say the same thing. The reason why I labor is so that I can see that you would also experience the hope of glory. The reason why I spent hours in prayer for you is so that you would also experience what? The hope of glory. It will not just be hope, but it will become a reality. The reason why I spent hours in the word so I can teach you is so that you can experience what this hope of glory and so when Paul talks about all of these things he says that the revelation of the riches of the glory of this mystery is because of one factor Christ in you the hope of glory he says that all these things that we talked about last week, about God revealing the riches of the glory, that you have an inheritance in Christ, that you are the head and not the tail, that you are above and not beneath, that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, that you are more than a conqueror. Every one of these things is because of one factor, Christ in you. So when Christ is in you, it gives you the hope of this glory that we are talking about. If Christ is not in you, look, you miss out. And so when Paul says that it's because of Christ in you, the hope of glory, what he's saying is that the presence of Jesus Christ in us is the reason we can have the hope of this glory. The presence of Jesus Christ in us. And I can tell you the greatest blessing you can have in life is to have Jesus Christ in you. That's the, that, that's the greatest thing that can ever happen to any of you, any of us. Yeah. This morning, I, I, I bought a boat and, and then I was having a conversation with the driver and he was like, I don't know, but I tried to stop this. I can't stop this. I tried to do this. I can't do this. I asked him about whether he has given his life to Christ. He said, oh, no, I was born in church, but I don't think I have a relationship. When we got, by the time we got here, he gave his life to Christ. Oh, yeah. And, and you could see tears in his eyes. I could almost sense the joy of the Lord flooding inside because Christ in us makes all the difference. Christ in us makes all the difference. So Paul is saying that without the Jesus factor, there is no glory to talk about or experience. Without the Jesus factor, there is what? No glory to talk about or experience. So today, if you don't have Jesus in your heart or in your life, I want to tell you that by the time we finish this message, you have to make that personal decision. Because it's not just about being in church. Church, 
Church is a nice place to be. But how many of you realize that when COVID came, we're all not meeting together? But Jesus was still in our hearts. Because it is more about Jesus. When we come together, it is fellowship. It has its own way of building us. But the most important thing is Christ in you. Christ must be in you. So now the focus of today's message is going to be about Jesus Christ. Because if it talks about Christ in us, then we have to know this Christ that is in us. Now the word Christ, it means the anointed one. In the Hebrew, it is called, he is called the Messiah. In the Greek, he is called Christos. It means the anointed one. When we talk about the anointed one, it means that he is the one that has been chosen by God for a particular purpose, a particular assignment. When we talk about anointing, you know, a lot of us have very strange ideas about what the anointing is. When we talk about anointing, you're thinking about oil, or you're thinking about gallons of oil being poured on you, and you're thinking about, no, no. When we talk about anointing, it is, it is just a matter of the fact that you have been marked. And you have been marked for a particular purpose. A particular assignment. But now Jesus is not just referred to as an anointed one. Because every one of us is anointed. Oh, some of you did not get that breaking news. I've been giving you a lot of breaking news. Do you know you are anointed? Every one of us is anointed. It's not only the pastor that is anointed. I think in this church I'm going to liberate your mind from a lot of things. All of us are anointed. If you have the Holy Spirit in you. Because he says that we have an anointing from God. That's the Holy Spirit. So, every one of us is anointed. But Jesus is called the anointed one. The anointed one is very specific. It means that he is the only one that God chose for the salvation of mankind. He's the only one that God chose for the redemption of humanity. And the, and the Jews were looking forward to the Messiah because it had been prophesied about him. But they thought the Messiah was going to be a political leader who would set them free. Little did they know that the one that was coming was not just going to set them from political bondage, but he was going to set them free from every form of bondage, from the spirit, from the soul, from the body, from the mind. When you have Jesus Christ, he's not only setting you free in one area of your life, he sets you free in every area of your life. He starts with your spirit and before you realize it is affecting every area of your life. It's affecting every area of your life. So Jesus is the anointed one. The one that has been chosen by God. This same Jesus was prophesied to about by different people in the Old Testament. Moses prophesied about him. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. So Moses was saying that, look, God is going to raise a prophet like me. Now, Moses was making a very interesting comparison, a prophet like me. Because Moses had a certain relationship with God where the Bible says that, and God knew Moses face to face. And he talked to Moses like a friend. So Moses could, could be with God and really hear everything that God is saying like a friend talking to. Even to the extent that Moses needed, I mean, wanted to see God and God showed him his backside. And according to some theologians, showing his backside is an indication that God showed him the past. And, and, and that is how come Moses was able to write the book of Genesis and tell us what no man knew happened before the world came into existence. That's the kind of relationship. Now Moses says that there's going to be a prophet like me who will be raised and that is Jesus Christ. Him you will hear because now Jesus has a relationship with the father where he says, I and my father are one. So whatever the father says, that's what I say. Whatever I see the father do, that's what I do. He's the one we are talking about. David also prophesied about him in Psalm 110 verse 1. 
He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David lived so many thousands of years before Jesus appeared, but David could prophesy about Jesus Christ who would have risen up and seated at the right hand of the Father till he makes his enemies his footstool. So David prophesied about this Jesus. Isaiah prophesied about this Christ. In Isaiah 11 verse 1 to 2, he says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So Isaiah was prophesying about this Christ, that this Christ will possess the seven spirits of God. The spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding. Now, I'm laying a foundation because when you understand who this Christ is, then you will come to the point of understanding what is actually inside of you. Because this same Christ we are talking about is the one in you. Now, this Christ has the spirit of wisdom. He has the spirit of knowledge. He has the spirit of understanding. He has the spirit of counsel. He has the spirit of might. He has the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Can you imagine that if this Christ is in you with all of this, then you should not lack understanding. You should not lack knowledge. You should not lack wisdom. You should not lack counsel. You should not lack might. You should not lack the fear of the Lord. Because the embodiment of all of this is inside of you. Or some of you did not get that. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 to 7, he prophesies again. Please turn the keyboard volume down. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 to 7. He prophesies again and he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is what was said about Jesus. A child is born. A son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. It means that he is going to rule and reign. The kingdom will be his. And he says his name will be called Wonderful. Can I tell you the one who is in you is called Wonderful. He's called Counselor. He's called Mighty God. He's called Everlasting Father. He's called the Prince of Peace. That is why you cannot allow the situations of life to disturb you because the Prince of Peace is Christ who is in you. And if he's the Prince of Peace, then you can allow that peace to flow through your life. So many of us allow too many of too many things to disturb us and to destroy our peace. Meanwhile, you have the Prince of Peace inside of you. He says the government will be upon his shoulder. That means he's carrying his kingdom. And the one who is carrying his kingdom is inside of you. Can you imagine? If the one who is carrying his kingdom is inside of you, then he rules and reigns over everything. That is why you've got to stand in authority and say that this thing that has been afflicting me, this thing that has been coming against me, I have the one who rules and reigns in all the earth. He is inside of me. I've got to exercise authority over it. John the Baptist said this of him. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his stretching floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that this Jesus Christ that we are talking about, he is able to cleanse your life. Some of you are saying, oh, I've been struggling with this. Oh, I am dealing with this. Oh, I, I don't know how to overcome come this he says that he has the power to be able to cleanse you 
This past week, someone gave me a testimony of how the Lord liberated him from some addictions. And I was like, wow. I went back and I sat down and I said, ah, this thing, it is so real. No, this experience is very real. That when you come to know him, he has the power to break anything in your life and to set you free and to cleanse you. And so as I speak this, would you shout a big amen that whatsoever thing it is that you are struggling with, that you are dealing with, that has become an addiction in your life, that you are not able to overcome by the power of the authority of Jesus Christ in you, you will break out of it in Jesus' name. And you shall also give a testimony and say that I am free. John the beloved wrote this about Christ. He says in John chapter 1 verse 1 to 5, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Can you imagine? Without Jesus Christ, nothing was made that was made. In other words, for anything to be made, Jesus had to give permission. He had to allow it because he is the word. And he says that this same person, oh, come on. This same person is inside of your life. And so, this same person who has the creative power to allow the things that have come into existence is the same person that can allow things that be not to be as though they were to exist in your life. No, this same person that we are talking about, if he doesn't permit the enemy to do anything in your life, the enemy cannot do anything in your life. Can I tell you, this is the Jesus Christ that is in us. He says that in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not, oh, come on. The darkness did not comprehend it. He says in him was life. And this life was the light of men. So the life of Christ is our light. And he says that when this light shines, the darkness cannot understand it. The darkness cannot stand the light. Can I tell you that every darkness in your life must give way to the light? Because if Jesus Christ is in your life, his life is your light. His life is your light. That is why you've got to allow every form of darkness out of your life. From today, if there's any darkness that is operating in your life, you've got to stand in the authority of the name of Jesus and say that I have Christ in me. His life is my light. The darkness cannot stand the light. The darkness must give way to the light. From today, I will not allow that darkness in my life. Oh, shout a big amen. Sometimes the reason why darkness is able to prevail when the light is around is because we create the atmosphere for darkness to prevail. We create the environment for darkness to come. But from today, you are going to break loose from every form of environment that creates the access for darkness because your light must shine and must cause the darkness to disappear. That chronic sickness must give way. That chronic disease must give way. That affliction in your body must give way. That affliction in your mind must give way. That oppression from the kingdom of darkness must give way because Christ is your light. Come on, shout a big amen. I told you today, something is about to break out of someone's life. I sense in my spirit that as we exalt Christ and we exalt him in this place, things are going to be broken off people's lives. And I read right now, even as I'm saying it, I see some chains breaking off someone's feet. The person is being loose and broken. That chain is broken in Jesus' name. You take one step forward and you take two steps backward because the chains are holding you. But from today, that chain is broken. You are progressing. You are advancing. You are moving forward. The chain will not hold you anymore. Christ is your light. And he says the word became flesh 
and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Ah, this Christ that we are talking about, he is full of grace and truth. And John says that we beheld his glory. Now, we are saying that Christ in you, the hope of glory. This glory cannot be beheld by any man. But Christ gave the opportunity for human beings to behold his glory. Because he had to come in the form of flesh so that he can now, I mean, measure down the glory in a way that human beings can behold. Remember that God told Moses that, that if anyone sees me, no man shall see me and live. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He said, no man shall see me and live. Now John, the beloved, is writing about this same God and he says that he became flesh and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten. Do you know what it means? It means that through Christ, what was impossible for us to see in God, now it is possible for us to experience. The glory that no man could see. He says that now in Christ Jesus, by virtue of his life, we can also have access to that glory. We beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. This same Christ is the one whose birth moved wise men from the east. It brought shepherds from their fields. It caused the host of angels to sink. It sent panic to Herod's palace. Can you imagine? This baby boy was born and the king was afraid. He had to order for them to kill every baby because Jesus Christ was not just any ordinary king. His birth was able to send shockwaves to the, uh, to the king Herod. Can I tell you, this same crisis in you, if you can allow his life to be lived through you, it will send shockwaves to the camp of the enemy. Because when you are coming, they don't see you. They see Christ in you. Oh, come, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. They see Christ in you. This same Christ is the one who healed the blind. He's the one who made the deaf hear. He's the one who made the dumb speak. He's the one who raised back to life. He's the one who turned water into wine. He's the one who walked upon the sea. He's the one who spoke to the winds and the waves and they obeyed him. He's the one who delivered people from demonic oppressions. This is the Christ we are talking about. If he healed the sick, if he raised the dead, if he made the blind see, if he made the deaf hear, if he made the dumb speak, if he delivered people from oppressions, then this same Christ in you can do much more. Some of you are not getting it. The same Christ in you. No, the same Christ in you. He's the one that spoke to the waves and the seas and told them, be still. And they became still. And the disciples were wondering, who is this man? This same Christ is the one that was sleeping on a pillow when the boat was almost capsizing. And the disciples was wondering what will happen. And he gets up from the pillow. And I'm sure he looks at everything and he's like, ah, why are you guys worried? I am in the boat. When I'm in the boat, I am the commander of the waves and the seas. As a matter of fact, God says that I'm the one who gave a decree to the sea and gave it a boundary so that it, it doesn't go beyond the boundary. So if the one who gave a decree to the sea that it should not go beyond its boundary is in the boat, can the sea drown? Oh, come on. Can the sea drown that person? And he says that this same Christ is in your life. So when the storms come, it is the one he is the one who permitted the storms to come. And once he's in your life, as long as he's in your life, the storms cannot drown you. Oh. Some of you just have to call Jesus. You just have to call Jesus into that storm. 
Because you are trying to deal with it all by yourself. Oh, I've tried this, Pastor. I am trying this. Oh, Pastor. I am going here, Pastor. I am calling this person. No, no. Stop all of that and say, Jesus, you are in the boat. The storm is too much for me. It looks like it's going to drown my life. It looks like it's going to destroy my life. But you can't be in this boat and have my life drown. So, Lord, arise and speak to the storm. Yeah. Arise and speak to the storm. He's a Christ whose trial brought, brought peace between two long-standing enemies. This same Christ, Pilate and Herod were not talking. By the time they exchanged Jesus, take him to Pilate, take him to Herod, take him to Pilate, by the time they finished, they were friends. Because he's called the Prince of <laughs> He's called the Prince of Peace. His trial brought peace. Ah, if this Prince of Peace is in your life and in your heart, look, let not your heart be troubled. No, 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 no. Let not your heart be troubled. Can I tell you that this same Prince of Peace can make the people who are enemies to you become friends with you? Amen. This same Prince of Peace, his death caused darkness upon the earth for three hours. His death caused an earthquake and tore the veil in the temple into two. His death. No. How many of you have heard of someone dying and then there's darkness all over the world? Three, three hours. No, no, he died and then there was earthquake. And then the earthquake tore the temple veil. Do you know why it tore the temple veil? It tore the temple veil so that you and I can have access into the presence of God without restriction. And he says that same Christ is in you. So do you know what? You don't need to go anywhere to fellowship with that Christ. Wherever you are, that Christ is inside of you. You can fellowship with him. You have access to his presence. Oh, yes. There's a Christ who conquered death and the grave. He spoke about his own death. Look at what he said about his death. In John chapter 10 verse 17 to 18. He says, Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Ay! I do what? I lay down my life that I may take it again. He says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. Jesus says that I am the one who can decide to put myself to death. When I finish, I resurrect my... No, 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 no. He says, I put myself to death. Then I would raise myself again. So Pilate was saying that, do you not know that I have the power to release you? He says, no, you, the power you have, you can't even have it except it's given to you from above. So Jesus was telling, and then Pilate was quiet. Because the one that we are talking about has the power to lay his life and has the power to take it. So he tells them that I'll destroy the temple in three days, I'll build it. And the people are confused. Because he tells them that, look, when I'm going to the grave, it's because I've allowed myself to go to the grave. But when I go to the grave, the grave cannot tell me to stay there because I am the one who has power over everything. So when I go to the grave, I decide when I come out. And when I am coming out, the grave has to just give permission. So look at what, how he reveals it to us in Revelation 1 verse 18. He says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Do you know what? All that Jesus wanted to do in his death was to go and take two keys that were lost to humanity. The keys of hell and death. That's why he allowed himself to die. So he says that, okay, everything that human beings need on earth, I, I can do for them. But there's something that the devil took legitimately from man. And I need to go. The only way I can do that is to go into death. So he laid his life. Then when he went, he took the keys of hell and death. 
when he picked the keys, I'm sure Satan was, I, I shared that story with you. I watched a movie, they were trying to show how, how Jesus went for the keys from, from, from Satan. He knocked the door, a demon went, the demon opened the door, he saw the light, he ran away. He went to tell another, he went to tell the master, Satan sent another demon, he also ran away. So it was like, he was wondering why the demons were going to the door and they were running away. So finally, Satan himself went, when he opened the door, he couldn't see the light, he just tried the key and gave it to you. <laughs> he just tried it. Look, Jesus has taken the keys of hell and death. That is why hell and death cannot have authority over your life when Christ is in you. Amen. Yeah, I was sharing with I was sharing on Wednesday when we were talking about purpose, and I was saying that I don't remember the last time I had a near accident situation that I shouted Jesus. And some, some could not believe that, that, that I, I told them there are times that I've, I've been in a vehicle and like the vehicle is like, it's about to go wherever it's going. And I'm so relaxed. And I'm calm. Do you know why? Because the one who is in me has the keys of hell and death. If he is in me, death cannot lay his hand on me unless he gives permission. And, and the reason why I'm not afraid of death is because when he gives death permission to take hold of me, it means that my time is up. So if my time is up, what am I doing here? So either way, the devil, look, the devil has lost it. One, you can't take me because the one in me has the keys of hell and death. He decides when I die. Two, if he allows me to die, it's only because he wants me to appear in his presence. That's all. I finished my assignment here. So Paul now gets to a place and Paul is confused. He says, I don't know whether I should die or I should live. Can you imagine? He says, I don't know, because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says that if I die, it is gain. To live is Christ, is to carry out the assignment. He says, now I'm torn between dying and living. Ah, you should come to that place in your life oh, where you can be torn between dying and living. Some of you are too afraid of death. Something happens, oh Jesus, something happens. Jesus, we don't even see the difference between you and the Muslim. Because everyone is shouting Jesus. And all of you are shouting Jesus, not out of faith, but out of fear. Yeah, some time ago I sat in the trotter and then there was a near accident situation. Come and see. There was a, someone with a jabila or whatever they call. Then someone with it. Everyone was shouting Jesus. People were holding their seats. People, I was just sitting down calmly. Now after everything happened, I was just asking myself like, am I alright? Because I wasn't, and I'm not saying this to back. I'm just telling you that when you have your confidence in this Christ, you are not afraid. You're not afraid. Some of us, cockroach, you're afraid. Ant, you're afraid. Spider, you're afraid. If a lion comes right now, you will fly through this tiny hole and get out. <laughs> I pray that the spirit of fear will be, will be rebuked in your life. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of death. Death cannot lay hold on you unless Christ gives permission. And if you die, it's because you are ready to go. Simple as that. So either way, death is a gain to you. The moment I got death demystified, I said, ah, then we are afraid. We are dying. I will die. I will die. He has the keys of hell and death. And when he resurrected, he did not remain here. He ascended to his father in heaven. And in heaven, Jesus Christ, the one who has ascended, continues to do this for us. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? 
who also makes intercession for us. So do you know what? This Christ did not just come to die for us. After he died and resurrected, do you know what he's doing? The Bible says he's making intercession on our behalf. He's constantly at the Father's right hand and always pleading on our behalf and always speaking on our behalf. Baby, you don't have strength. Then Jesus says, Father, release strength for her. You don't, you can't do this. Then he says, Father, do this. Sometimes you fail. Sometimes you fall. He says, Father, please have mercy. Remember my blood and have mercy. It is because of the intercession of Christ that you are still here. Yeah. Sometimes some of us, we think that it is our own doing. Oh, I've been fasting and praying. Oh, I fasted 10 days. Oh, I did this, that. No, 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 no. Because even your fasting and your praying, it is 419 fasting and praying. If we measure it by what Christ wants you to do, you don't meet that. So it is just his intercession. And the Bible says he mediates between you and I and then the Father. Oh, you, you, you know that, right? You know that. Ever since I discovered that when I am coming to preach, I say, Lord, I need your mercy. Because at first I could boast in my preparation and say, ah! Charlie, I prepared the word. I said, Lord, please, even my preparation is faulty. All that I have done, all my studies, research, read how many commentaries, studied, prepared my message, prayed first. Lord, I know I have done my part, but even all of this, I know that it is not up to your standards. So mercy. That's what Jesus does. He intercedes on our behalf. There's a Christ that is in you. So if this Christ is in you and he's interceding on your behalf, wow. Then every day you are walking, say, Lord, Goodness and mercy must follow me. See, when the psalmist is writing, goodness and mercy shall follow me, he's saying that on the one hand, goodness will follow me because God has to favor what I do. That is his goodness. But on the other hand, I need something called mercy because I'm not always in line. So when goodness is following me, mercy must also come along because when I shot for, mercy will have to speak on my behalf. When I do it right, goodness will speak on my behalf. So whatever the case, something good must happen in my life. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Yeah. And there's a Christ that is in you. So this same Christ, Paul writes, look at what he writes about he living in us. In Romans chapter 8 verse 9 to 11, and this is why I conclude. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 to 11. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, listen, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, oh, 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 he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, let's, let's come home. He says that this Christ that we have talked about, everything we have talked about this Christ, is not just in theory. He says, now, this Christ, if he dwells in you, this same Christ, the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, he says that he will quicken your mortal bodies and he will bring light to your mortal bodies. Do you know what it means? It means that Jesus Christ, the same spirit, the way the spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead and brought life to his body, that same capacity and power is inside of you and that same power must bring life to your body. So today you can lay your hands on your head and say, this headache must go. This heart problem must go. This diabetes must go. This sickness must go. This infirmity must go. This weakness must go. Everything that is not of God must give way and must go. Because Christ is in me. Yeah. I want someone to have faith today. Oh yeah. Have faith. See, and, and having faith 
Sometimes you have the healing instantly. Sometimes you have the deliverance instantly. Sometimes it will be progressive. But faith means that I believe God until it happens. <laughs> uh, some of you did not get that. I believe God until it happens. However it happens, I believe God. Oh yeah. I believe God. I believe God until it happens. So this same Jesus will bring life to your mortal body. Now, Paul says that it is called Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's very important to understand this. When Paul talks about hope, he's saying that if Christ is in you, the hope of glory, that means that if Christ is in you, you have the hope of having favor. That places you in a position of honor, favor with God and man. Remember, we defined glory as dogza, favor with God and man. So when Christ is in you, you have the hope that you will have favor with God and favor with men so that you'll be honored. It means that if Christ is in you, you have hope of a life that produces what is excellent, what is intelligent, what is extraordinary. If Christ is in you, that means that you have the hope of eternal security that one day you will spend eternity with him. So what is this hope? That's where we end. What is this hope? The word hope means to anticipate, usually with pleasure. It means you are expecting something, but it's not just expectancy. You expect it with energy, with pleasure. How many of you have, 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 have realized that there are some things that when you're expecting in life, you have so much excitement. The reason why you have the excitement or the pleasure is because you know that whatever happens, that thing will happen. Have you realized there are some things that when you are expecting in life, you are very cautious. Like, oh, okay. If it comes, fine. If it doesn't come. Because you don't trust whether or not it will come. But when you have concrete information that this thing is actually happening or is coming, you have hope. That is called expectancy with pleasure. Because you know without the shadow of a doubt that this thing will happen. So when Paul says the hope of glory, it means that what we are expecting in Christ, we expect with a lot of joy because we know that whatever happens, that will happen. And it's because it is Christ. Do you know one reason why we can have the hope of glory? Because, shalom, it was prophesied about Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent the serpent will bruise the heel. It was prophesied about Jesus in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus Christ had fulfilled that. It took how many years? It took over 4,000 years for that prophecy to come into fulfillment. So if it took 4,000 years and the prophecy came into fulfillment and that Christ conquered the enemy, then it means that you and I can have hope of the things that he said he would do in our lives. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When we talk about hope, we are saying that it's a favorable and confident expectation. You look forward with assurance and guarantee. It has to do with the unseen, the future. You have not seen it, but you believe it. You have not seen it, but you believe and know that it shall happen. Let me set an example for you to know what we talk about as hope. So, um, there was, there's this man that we know, a family friend, and then he came down from outside the country the last time. When he came, he gave us some beautiful things. I mean, very, very generous things. Give us. I mean, gave my daughters, gave my... Just, just generously. Then, he was coming back again to the country. And then, my relative 
had actually asked him for something. Like he didn't even want him to buy, he just wanted him to check it. But the man said, sent a message and told him that I have bought it. I am bringing it. Now, before the man had arrived, this my relative was so excited and so confident that he was receiving the thing that this man had promised. Do you know the reason why he has so much confidence? It's because just a couple of weeks ago when he came, he gave the things that he, oh come on, he bought the things that he intended to bring. So if he has bought them, then I have the confidence that this one, because that one I didn't ask for, he brought it. Then this one that I asked for, he will surely bring it. So he was beaming with expectancy and excitement. When I called him, he said, Charlie, I'm going for the thing, but you know how to eat before I go, because there are some things when you are going for, you need to go with a lot of joy. And yesterday when I called, the man had brought the thing, he had received the thing, because you see, he had hope. The hope was on the basis of something that has been done. And so when Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, what he's saying is that if Christ came and indeed died for you, and he rose up for you, and he delivered you, and he set you free, is it, is it the things that you're expecting that he can't do? Oh, he says that if God gave his only son in Romans chapter 8, how much more will he not also freely give you all things? That's what our hope is. Oh, if Jesus saved me, the house car, fame, job. And I, no, no, you, you see, sometimes our value system is so low. If he saved my soul, I mean, I, I, these are things that, the things that I'm, I'm worried about. I have the hope of glory. Look, I tell myself, no matter how long it takes, it is called hope. Hope means I have not seen it, but I'm expecting it. Hope means it doesn't come, but I'm looking forward to it. Hope means that it hasn't happened, but I can trust God for it to happen. That is what is called hope. Yeah, hope. Now, if you kill hope in your life, you've killed everything. Because you need to hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can come. You can come for programs upon programs and energize and then pastor or professor and someone professor. Pastor, I'm not seeing it. This one has said this. This one. The, the only thing that keeps you going is called hope. Because the thing about hope is that you hold on till you see the manifestation. Yeah. I pray that someone will have hope. Someone will have hope. Someone will have an assurance and look forward to the things that God has for us. So what is Jesus expecting from us? Because it is not it is not in vacuum. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is tied to something you have to do. John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. This is what Jesus is expecting from you and I. Because some of us are not doing this yet. We are laying a claim. It's just like someone who has not gone to pay for insurance premium. And then something happens and you are you want to go to the insurance company and lay claim. They tell you, Jack. We don't know you. <laughs> what are you doing here? But if you have paid for your insurance and something happens, you have the right to lay the claim because you have done what is expected of you. John chapter 15 verse 45, it says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do. <laughs> without me, you can do nothing. When, when, when he says that abide, it means that stay in a given place. 
Stay in the giving place. So what Christ is expecting from us is that you stay in him. Some of us, the least thing that happens, though, you go out a little, uh, then you come back a little. Uh, what, what sort of that? It's not abiding. It's visitation. When we abide, it means you dwell. That is your residency. The presence of Christ is your resident place. That's where you stay. Oh, you pray for, you pray, you, you, you do, some of you do the giddy giddy prayer. You pray for one week. You expect that when you do the giddy giddy prayer, like God will answer by magic and God doesn't do it. Then all of a sudden you go, you sleep. You sleep one, one whole month. You are not praying. You are not, you are not abiding. You are not abiding. If you are not abiding, how do you expect to see fruit? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Have you seen any branch that they've cut off the tree that is bearing fruit? Abide. You have to stay in his presence. You have to stay in his word. You have to stay in fellowship with him. You have to stay in communion with him. You have to stay in his will. Some of you are like, I'm with Christ. But you are not abiding. You have moved somewhere else. He is here. You are there. Different gears. When he says abide, it means that you are supposed to remain. You are supposed to stand. You are supposed to endure. You are supposed to dwell. I remember the Friday when I went to preach at the, my friend's church. And he said that he read a scripture about enduring sound doctrine. He says that the Bible did not say enjoy sound doctrine. He says endure sound doctrine. Because the whole issue of abiding is enduring. That Lord, even though I am not seeing the things that you have promised me, even though I am not seeing the promises as fast as I want to see them, I want to remain here. I want to serve you with all my heart. I want to give myself wholly to you. Especially in these days where the world has become more exceedingly difficult and become exceedingly dangerous and things seem not to be going well generally. This is the time you need to abide more. Have you realized that when you plant something in the dry season, you are expected to pour more water on it. You are expected to tend that thing because the dry season is not giving you the conditions that will make the thing become fruitful. So you have a responsibility to put more. When the economy is becoming harder, when challenges are becoming tougher in your life, when the storms are raging more, that is when you have to spend more time with Christ. Oh, this is why you don't like it. When I said the other one, you shout and scream and shout and scream. That is when you have to spend more time with Christ. That's when you have to spend more time with God. I remember two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, when we had the manifest. Yes, that week. The devil decided to attack us. Share! One thing to the next thing to the next. At a point, I called my parents and I said, why? Has Satan gone to have a discussion with God like the way he did with God about Job? Because it looks like when this thing ends, the next thing comes. The next thing comes. Then it was just like one one, one. Do you know what I told myself? I said, devil, you're a liar. This is the time I'm even going to serve God more. The last night of manifest was when my car broke down. It didn't even make sense how it broke down. So I told them, let's park the car. We pick. Some of you, the car broke down. Say, said, oh, pastor, when I was coming to church, my car broke down. So I had to try to get the mechanic. And I had to try to do this. And that's why I couldn't come. No, no, park the car. Get the next available vehicle. Come into the house of the Lord. Tell yourself that this is not going to pull me out. I'm going to stay in the house of the Lord. Just around that same time, my family, my little girls fell sick. My wife fell sick. I also fell sick. I mean, it was just like one thing to the other. I said, no way. I, I literally limped to church that Wednesday 
Because my car wasn't there. Our area is like a village. You won't get boat. I tried boat. I tried young go. I tried whatever. I wasn't getting. My toe was hurting. I said, I'm coming to church. I limped. I limped. I got into a vehicle. Stood there like there was nothing wrong with my leg. We finished the service. I went back limping. I told myself that no one, nothing would take me out of the game. Not because I'm a pastor. I, I, mean, I, I could have stayed home that day. I could have called any of the leaders and told them, take over the church service. No, no, no. But I understand that in the moment when it is tougher, that's when you stay deeper in Christ. That's when you endure. You stay. You pray. You study the word. You keep in fellowship. You serve him. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you produce much more fruit. Today, we have a lot of Christians who are hanging. They are not abiding. No. They are hanging on the tree. The next wind will break them off. Because all we know about our Christian life is God do for me. God do for me. God do for me. God, if you are not doing for me, then let's wait. We have that kind of relationship with God. God, God, if you are not doing anything for me, then what? Let's wait. That kind of relationship doesn't work. No, have you realized if, even in our normal human relationship, if you have a relationship with the person, all the person is do for me, do for me, and if you don't do anything, then the person is not talking to you. What do you do? Jack, go away. <laughs> That's what you do. You, you leave because you know this is a dangerous one. Those who force themselves to marry such people, they end up coming back to us. Then pastors, we become, we become the, what, the judges and the lawyers and everything. But when you see the signals and the signs, you say what? Jack, this is not the one for me. I leave. God does not want a relationship of give me, give me, give me. It was a relationship of divine exchange. He wants a love relationship. If you want to know God as a lover, look at women. God likes attention. Uh, women, you, we don't dispute that, right? Yeah. No, no, no. God loves attention. In my few years of working with God, I realized that God likes, God likes attention. That's why the Bible calls him a jealous God. When you share the attention with God, the attention that you are supposed to give him with someone else, with your phone, with your gadgets, hey, you, if you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you begin to feel it inside of you. He is not happy one bit. He's a jealous God. So abide in him. Stay in him. Then you will see the hope of glory unveiled and revealed to your life. Oh yeah. He will do it in a way that will shock your life. And I'm not saying this in theory, but I'm saying that I have worked with this God. There's nothing that will change my mind though. Oh, not the people that insult us on, 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 on social media or radio or television because I have worked with him and I can say without a shadow of a doubt that even in your wilderness period, even when you are walking in the valley of the shadow of death, he is right there with you. He's right there with you. He's right there with you. So Christ in you, the hope of glory. You've got to abide in him. Then you will see this hope become a reality.